The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Zion Primitive Baptist Church in Zion, Alabama. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com. I want to welcome you today to the Zion Primitive Baptist Church podcast. This podcast is an outreach of Zion Primitive Baptist Church, which is located in the Zion community near Gordo, Alabama. I'm Elder Chris McCool, and I serve as pastor of Zion Primitive Baptist Church. We are a congregation of believers in the sovereign grace of God where families worship together through the simple practice of preaching, praying, and singing. If you live in this area or are visiting here, we would love to have you attend worship services with us. We meet every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. and every Sunday evening at 5 p.m. and the first and third Wednesday evenings at 6.30 p.m. I'm happy to note that our daily podcast is featured on Grace Alone Radio, which you can find at gracealoneradio.net. You can find the schedule on the website, and you can also download an app to your phone so that you can listen wherever you are. Grace Alone Radio is a 24-hour streaming service which carries the message of God's sovereign grace around the clock and around the world. Zion Primitive Baptist Church is located at 9487 County Road 49, Gordo, Alabama. That's near the intersection of County Road 49 and Alabama Highway 159, about eight miles north of Gordo, Alabama, and about 10 miles northeast of Reform, Alabama. If you're interested in finding more sermons, you can go to our website at zionpbc.com, that's z-i-o-n-p-b-c.com, where you'll find all of our posted sermons as well as a link to subscribe to our podcast. You can also subscribe to our website which will update you every time a new sermon is posted. In Leviticus chapter 25, God tells the children of Israel to number seven Sabbaths of years. After those seven Sabbaths of years, which is 49 years, in the beginning of the 50th year, they were to blow a trumpet, which proclaimed the year of Jubilee had begun. In this Jubilee year, all property became unencumbered and all captives were liberated. This Jubilee trumpet symbolizes in so many ways the gospel message that we have today. Join us as we begin today in this sermon, looking at the ways in which the gospel message today is similar to the Jubilee trumpet in Leviticus 
turn with me over to the book of Leviticus, the 25th chapter. Leviticus chapter 25, we're going to begin reading in verse 8. Now, this is the time, uh, primarily what's given in the book of Leviticus are some rules and laws, commandments of God about the worship that they were to engage in in the Old Testament days. It's given to us after the law has been given on Mount Sinai, but it's part of that as well. In Leviticus chapter 25 and verse 8, we read this. And thou shalt number seven Sabbaths of years unto thee, seven times seven years, and the space of the seven Sabbaths of years shall be unto thee forty and nine years. Then shalt thou cause the trumpet of the jubilee to sound on the tenth day of the seventh month, and the day of atonement shall ye make the trumpet sound throughout all your land. And ye shall hallow the fiftieth year and proclaim liberty throughout all the land unto all the inhabitants thereof. It shall be a jubilee unto you, and ye shall return every man unto his possession, and ye shall return every man unto his family. One of my favorite songs that I used to hear, and I don't remember all the words to it, was sung by the Happy Goodman family back in uh, my growing up days when I was, uh, uh, I was uh, a young man at home. I would, uh, we'd turn on this uh, Sunday morning, it would be the uh, Happy Goodman hour, and they always opened up with a song, Jubilee, and that sounded like the happiest song I've ever heard. Jubilee, Jubilee, we're going to the happy Jubilee. You know, I didn't understand it then. But as I began reading in these scriptures many years ago and came across some of these old, old boring laws, you know, this stuff that fills up the pages of the five books of Moses. You know, I enjoyed all the Exodus story, right? I enjoyed the Exodus and all the... The, um, the contest between Pharaoh's magicians and Moses and some of that stuff's exciting. But then you get into these laws, you know, and you, what is, you know, why did the Lord put it here? We, we're told in John, the fifth chapter, that when we search those scriptures, we're to find Jesus in them. We're to find, and, and when I began to search the scriptures, as Jesus told those Pharisees, now he was getting on to them, but he told those Pharisees, he said, search the scriptures. For in them you think you have eternal life, but they are they that testify of me. And when you begin to look at those Old Testament laws that are so boring and just dry reading and all that, if you can remember to look for the Jesus in them, look for the gospel in them, that will help you more than anything else will help you in studying the Old Testament scriptures. And I'll tell you, you're going to find Jesus on every page. And we find him right here. In this little three-verse uh, portion of chapter 25, when we're talking about the Jubilee year. The, and what I really want to focus on tonight, there, there, we're going to talk a little bit about the Jubilee, but what I really want us to focus on and be thinking about throughout all the sermon tonight is the trumpet of the Jubilee. The trumpet of the Jubilee. Because I believe that the trumpet of the Jubilee is something that we have today in the message of the gospel. The trumpet of the Jubilee was something very important and essential in the public worship of those children of Israel. 
Today, what we have in the, the trumpet of the Jubilee is, is so closely related to and akin to the trumpet of the gospel. And I want us to talk about that tonight, the trumpet of the Jubilee. That word trumpet literally means in Hebrew a clamor or a battle cry, a cry of joy. It comes from a root word that means to split the ears with sound. So one thing we need to know about the trumpet of the Jubilee is it wasn't something that was hid in a corner. It wasn't something that you could not hear. It was something that when it was blown, it was an ear-splitting sound. Sometimes today, I'm afraid that even in my life, and I've experienced this in times when the world wants to put down the gospel trumpet. It wants to quiet us down. It wants to keep us silent. But beloved, you know, there was a time over in the book of Acts where uh, the authorities there tried to silence the gospel trumpet. They, the gospel trumpet was being blown by, uh, by Peter and by, uh, by Paul and Silas. And there was a time when Peter and John were out preaching and they came in and they said, you're going to have to stop preaching it. And they said, we've got to obey God rather than men. And as a matter of fact, they came back after they'd been beaten and after they'd been put in jail and they'd been threatened. And they came back rejoicing that they were counted worthy to be able to, to, to preach this message. That they were counted worthy to blow this gospel trumpet. You know, it's easy for us to get down and out of the world in which we live, isn't it? I left over there. I went over to see the concert or hear the concert that Mason's group was in at the university this afternoon. And I had to leave a little bit early and I was coming back and I was, you know, I was kind of in a hurry and I was not sure I would get here on time. And then I couldn't find my iPad and I was looking. So I, long story short, I, I, got, I was thinking, well, I'm going to turn on some music. But instead, I turned on Grace Alone and Elder David Crawford. Elder David Crawford was preaching about God making all things new. And I rejoiced all the way over here because what he was talking about was the gospel trumpet. He was telling us about the fact that God, through Christ, has made all things new. He was blowing the gospel trumpet. And he was telling me and all of those who were listening things that were uplifting to me. And by the time I got to church, I felt like I was floating on the clouds. Felt like I was halfway to heaven. <laughs> And, and I know that we're here tonight and it's a small crowd. And I'm not just talking about our crowd. I'm talking about compared to the world out there. But beloved, uh, just because things look small, that just because the flock seems small, just because uh, the kingdom of God seems to be the size of a mustard seed out there, which is the smallest of seeds, we should not let that get us down. We should be excited about the gospel trumpet and blowing it as loudly as we can. It was an ear-splitting sound. When the time came for the, for the jubilee trumpet to be blown, they didn't go hide in a corner. They didn't say, now be real careful and don't wake up the kids. Listen, you need to wake up the kids. <laughs> it's okay. I'm not talking about causing a dead alien sinner to become born again. That's not, we'll talk about that in a moment. We're not, gonna, we're not ever going to born anybody again through the gospel. But I'll tell you what we will do. We'll wake up those that have been born again. This trumpet... See, was an ear-splitting sound. Now, let's, let's look at this trumpet of the Jubilee in comparison to the gospel in some other ways as well. Notice what happened. It says this gospel trumpet was to be blown in the, in the uh, beginning of the 50th year, at the end of the 49th year, and it was declaring liberty throughout all the land. But notice that the trumpet of the Jubilee only declared liberty to those in bondage. 
to those that were under the bondage of certain things in that day. If you'll read through the chapter here, chapter 25, you're going to see that there were many in that 49-year period uh, that immediately preceded the blowing of the trumpet in the 50th year. There were many who had to borrow from their brethren. They had to go into debt to their brethren. That begins about verses 35, 36 through 38, okay? It gets even worse. When you get over to about verse 39, you see that there were some that got so poor that they had to sell themselves to their brethren. They became indentured servants. They became in bondage to their brethren in the land of Israel there. And then, then it's even worse than that. Uh, there were some who got in such bad shape that beginning there in verse 47, you're going to see that many had to sell themselves to a stranger, to someone who wasn't even of the house of Israel. And they were in bondage. They, they, and, and not only their, themselves were in bondage, not only they themselves were in bondage, but their whole families went into bondage. For instance, let's say a 20-year-old young man began to be in bondage in the first year or two of that 49-year period that was leading up 49 years later to the Jubilee. Let's say he goes into bondage and he's single, but while he's in bondage, he marries. Well, his wife then is in bondage, and then he has children. Well, his children then are in bondage. He is, he is sold in bondage in the land in that day, but... but Think about where we are today. Now, I know we don't have, we talked this morning about slavery. We don't have slavery anymore, at least not legally. There's human trafficking and that sort of thing that goes on. But slavery is a thing of the past uh, in the Western world. But, uh, but are we not, do we not have bondage today? First of all, are we not in bondage to the curse of sin on this world? You know, when Adam fell, Adam, Adam was in perfect liberty. He had perfect freedom with God. He walked with God. He talked with God. He, he fellowshiped and communed with God. Back over in the second chapter of the book of Genesis, we read about him and God talking. And the Lord took him in verse 15 and put him in the garden. He's, he's talking to him face to face. Can you imagine Adam's experience? Can you imagine being in such a condition that instead, you know, Moses said if we, you know, he wanted to see God. And God said, you can't see me and live, Moses. But God spoke face to face with Adam because Adam was not a sinner. Adam was innocent. Adam had not committed sin. He took him and he put him into the Garden of Eden to dress it and keep it. And then he, he told him, you can eat of all these trees, but just not this one. He said, of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. And then you know the rest of the story there. Ultimately, Eve is uh, created from a rib of Adam. And then we're told that the serpent beguiled Eve. But, uh, you know, we always like to blame Eve, don't we? But it wasn't Eve that did it intentionally. It was Adam. It was Adam. It wasn't Eve's eating of the fruit that caused man to fall into sin it was Adam because Adam knew better Adam was the one to whom the commandment was given and Adam represented us in his fall and notice over in chapter 3 and verse um, verse 17 I want you to notice what happened to this world unto Adam he said because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife and hast eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee saying thou shalt not eat of it cursed is the ground for thy sake 
In sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. Now, I, I hope you've been blessed, as I have, to have a job that I enjoy for the most part. For the most part. My job, the different things I've done as an attorney, I've, I've generally enjoyed them. But my wife, if she were here tonight, she would tell you that I haven't always enjoyed them. <laughs> and she sure hadn't enjoyed them <laughs> all the time. <laughs> there have been times when I've gotten down. There's still times. I, I like the job I'm doing now, but I'm not, you know, it's, there's issues about my job. I, it doesn't just happen. I don't just uh, wake up in the morning and say, boy, I'm looking forward to the end of the day because all the work I've got to do is just going to get done by itself. I have to get up. I have to get to work. I have to do things. And aren't we all just, we're always looking forward, forward to retirement? Isn't that sort of always something we're thinking, you know, I can't wait to retire one day. I hope I can retire one day. I hope I'm able to get to the point where I retire. You know, because the reason we're hoping to get to the point to retire is because our jobs are not easy. No matter what job you have, it is a burden. You might, like I said, I enjoy what I do. I'm not complaining, but it's still a burden. It's not what I want to do all my life. I want to get to a point where I, my labors can end in that regard. And of course, you know what happens then. Everybody I've ever talked to that's ever retired said that they didn't know how they had time to work because retirement has been so busy. <laughs> they get even busier in retirement. And, and all the days of the life of a man are labor and sorrow. And it's because of the curse of sin upon this world. You know, I think Adam was able to, you know, I don't know if he actually planted a garden. You know, the garden was already there for Adam. That's, that's amazing, too. I'd like to have a garden, Brother Mackey, but in order to have a garden, I've got to get out there and bust up the ground and sow the seeds. And, you know, there was already, a, it's called the Garden of Eden. It was there. But, but maybe, maybe Adam did decide to plant a little plot. I don't know if he did. But you know what he didn't have to do if he did that? He never had to weed it. He never had to go in there and spray it for bugs. He could just put the seed there. I don't know. Maybe he could put it on top of the ground. I don't know. But it was such a wonderful, wonderful experience to garden. You know, I like the idea of gardening. But when I get out there and actually start gardening, I get frustrated. Because, you know, the only time I could, when I was working... Here, particularly, the only time I could go out and get in the garden was like at five in the morning because I had to be at work about eight o'clock. And so I had to get up early and get out there. And then finally, I'll never forget the last time I had a garden when I finally decided I'm not going to garden anymore. It's when I had let it go so badly that I had to get out there with a weed eater in order to get to it. And I knew then it was time for me to stop gardening. But you see what's happened here? You know the reason for that? It's Adam's fault. Thorns and thistles shall it bring forth to thee, and thou shalt eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread, till thou return to the ground. The world we live in is cursed by sin. Paul talks about this in the Romans, the 8th chapter. Over in the 8th chapter of Romans, Paul says this, down in verse 18, where he begins, you know, most... Most people go to Romans 8.20. A lot of people go to Romans 8.28 for comfort. I don't find comfort in the way they understand Romans 8 and 28. <laughs> I find comfort in Romans 8 and 28 the way it's supposed to be, uh, which is pointing us to that ultimate work of Christ. But where I really find comfort is Romans 8.18, 8, 
If you're talking about going to the book of Romans when somebody's suffering, that's the best place to go. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. We've talked about it so many times that I'm just going to skim the surface. But you understand what that's saying. The sufferings of this time don't matter when it comes to the glory that we're going to experience over there. But notice that it's talking about sufferings. Paul acknowledges that we are living in a world that is cursed by sin and there are indeed sufferings here. That's why our prayer list keeps getting longer and longer and not shorter and shorter. That's why my doctor visits get more and more frequent and not less and less the older I get. He says, I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared. And he goes on, verse 19, the earnest expectation of the creature He talks about the creature. I believe he's talking about that created thing within us, that thing that's inside of us, that new birth. But notice he says in verse 21 that the creature itself shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption. The bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. There is bondage in this sin-cursed world. Verse 22, we know that the whole creation, I believe now he's turning our thoughts to this entire created universe. He said, the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. You wonder why hurricanes occur. You wonder why earthquakes happen. You wonder why we have to have these tornado warning sirens set up across the state. It's because the whole creation, the whole creation that God has given to us is cursed by sin and is now in bondage to sin. We are in bondage to the curse of sin. But it's even worse than that. It's not only is this world or this earth that we live in cursed by sin and in bondage to the curse of sin but our own bodies we ourselves are in bondage to sin you remember what paul said in the you sometime read the seventh chapter of romans just read that seventh chapter and see if it doesn't fit your case just like it does mine he gets to talking about all the things that he wants to do as a spiritual creation that he can't seem to get done because he's got the bondage of corruption upon him he says in Romans 7, 14, he says, we know, you know, let me stop there and just say this. We always want to blame the law, right? I do. I want to say, oh, that's a terrible law. The law is the problem. The law, the law, the law. The law is not the problem. The law is spiritual. God's law is spiritual. But he says, we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. He goes on to talk about all the ways that he says, well, verse 15, he says, that which I do, I allow not for what I would that I do not, but what I hate that I do. Have you had the experience that I've had of maybe some habitual sin that keeps afflicting you or, or just some sin that comes upon you? You know, I, I've struggled in my life with a short temper and maybe you have as well. We all actually have that potential within us and you know, as they say in our modern language, somebody went off on somebody else. You know, have you ever gone off on somebody? I, I, had, I was in a high-pressure job for many, many years and, uh, where we had to negotiate. And, you know, we'd go to plea days, which is where we tried to work out our 
criminal cases. And as a prosecutor, I'd make an offer and the defense attorney would come back. And sometimes defense attorneys were very unreasonable and difficult. <laughs> I never was, of course, but, uh, but they, they, they'd come back and those negotiations would get tense. And I can remember a few times where I just lost control of my temper, even in court, and just said things I shouldn't and did things I shouldn't, slammed my briefcase or my, slammed my file folders down and walked off and said things I ought not to say. And you know what I immediately, within minutes of that, you know what I was thinking? I hate what I just did. I hate it. That's what Paul's talking about here. He said, that which I do, I allow not. I, you know, I don't know why I'm doing this the way it is, but what I would, that do I not. That is what I want to do, I'm not doing. What I hate, that do I. In other words, the things I don't want to do, that's what I'm doing. Due to the constraints of time, we will stop the message here. But please join us tomorrow for the conclusion of this message. If you would like to subscribe to our website, please go to www.zionpbc.com and sign up for email updates. If you have any questions, please feel free to contact the church at zionpbc1847 at gmail.com. That's Z-I-O-N-P-B-C-1847 at gmail.com. Or you can email me directly at jchrismccool at gmail.com. That's the letter J, C-H-R-I-S-M-C-C-O-O-L at gmail.com. Again, thank you for listening. May the Lord bless you is my prayer. We thank you for listening to today's message. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com.